and uh, something about worshiping together in whatever form it is that we worship. There's many things in the Bible that are forms of worship. Uh, singing is one of those, and to hear everyone singing. Uh, receiving the Word is one of those, and for folks to gather together to hear the Word of God preached as we do um, several times a week and then throughout the year. Uh, and then in a moment when we give, you know, I, one of the things that I love about this moment is that we as a church are worshiping God through our offering together. And I'm excited to see what God will do um, in this moment of worship, but also through this moment of worship in the life of our church. And I'm excited to see because I believe that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Boy, isn't that a great promise? That's a powerful, powerful promise. It's good to be here this morning. It's good to see each one of you here. And this is our special Sunday. Uh, this is our Chest of Joash Sunday. And each year, this first Sunday in December, for I believe 30-something years, uh, Central has gathered and on this day we give you know Christmas is whose birthday Jesus so we want to give him the first and the best gift and um, you know I've always been amazed when when it's my birthday I don't go to everybody else's house and take presents although that might work out good for some of us but we we bring presents to the person so I think it's wonderful for us to give gifts to recognize the gift that God gave us in the person of Jesus Christ but we want to give a gift to him and acknowledge that this is his, his celebration and his birthday. And for 30-something years, God has used this offering to accomplish wonderful things for his work and for his kingdom. And we rejoice in that. And we don't do this just as a tradition. We do this because it's a way to be obedient to scriptures and it's a way to worship God together. We're going to see that in our text this morning. I'm excited to see what God will do for and in us as we give. Some have already shared with me as they've prayed about what God has for them to give, how God is beginning to stretch them and how they had a certain thought in mind. And God often does that to us as we think, well, this is what I would need to give. And God says, uh, that's not quite enough. And so God begins to stretch what we are called to give. And I want us to be obedient to him. We'll see that in our text this morning, that it's based on the command of God. This is not based on the command of man. It's based on God's word and on God's pattern that he gives to us. And so as we pray and as we give this morning, um, that's, going to be our, that's going to be one of our acts of worship. I want you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. 2 Chronicles chapter 24. I'm going to read these verses because this is the text, this is the account from the Old Testament where we find the, the basis and the pattern for what we're going to do this morning. And I want to read these verses, they're familiar, but for some they may not be, and it's good for us that they are familiar with to be reminded of them. But I also know that there's some that are not familiar with it, and I want you to see this account. Now, as we turn and as we look, we understand, and we go to the Old Testament, that the church is not Israel. But God in his work with his people, there are things that are the same in all covenants that he makes with his people. And though we are under the new covenant, the fact is, is that we don't give in the same way that they gave in the Old Testament, but we still give. We still obey God's commands, but instead of external pressure that if you don't do this, this is going to happen to you, 
I hope that no one gives this morning. I, if you give, if God's laid on your heart to give, you give. But I hope no one comes with the attitude of, well, if I don't do this, God's going to do something terrible to me if I, if I don't put this money in. We give out of a heart of grace. We give out of, an, out of an effort to model to those around us what God's grace looks like. As God has given to us, he has given generously, he has given graciously, he has given joyfully, he has given voluntarily, he has initiated, he's the one that initiated giving. When we give in that same heart and in that same spirit, when we give out of a heart of grace, we magnify the God of grace. We magnify the grace of God. And that's our desire today is to do that. But as we look at this text, I want you to see the pattern and the basis of this kind of giving. And I want to draw some truths from this familiar passage that I believe will speak to us this morning. Begin reading and following with me, if you will, in verse 4, 2 Chronicles 24. And it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. Joash becomes king when he's seven years old. There's been turmoil in the nation of Israel. Joash is raised by the high priest. He's been mentored by the high priest. And I suspect uh, nothing against seven-year-olds, but most seven-year-olds are not prepared to lead a nation. Most 17-year-olds are, and many 70-year-olds are not ready to lead a nation. <laughs> nothing against either of those ages. And so at seven years old, he becomes king, and so he has those around him who guide him. Thankfully, in this time in his life, his mentors and his, those who are speaking into his life have guided him toward genuine worship of God. And so it says that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord, and he gathered together the priests and the Levites, and he said to them, go out into the cities of Judah and gather of all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year, and see that you hasten the matter, Howbeit the Levites hastened it not. And the king called for Jehoiada the chief, the high priest. And he said unto him, Why hast thou not required of the Levites to bring in out of Judah and out of Jerusalem the collection, according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the congregation of Israel, for the tabernacle of witness? For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken up the house of God. Athaliah was the queen mother in the previous chapters, and so she was a Baal worshiper. And so she had demolished, she had desecrated the house of God. Her sons had desecrated the house of God, and the house of God was in disrepair. They had taken the things of God, and they had used them for false worship of Balaam. And so he said, they've done these things, and all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord did they bestow upon Balaam. And at the king's commandment, they made a chest, and they set it without at the gate of the house of the Lord. They made a proclamation through Judah and Jerusalem to bring into the Lord the collection, here it is again, that Moses, the servant of God, laid upon Israel in the wilderness. And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought in and cast into the chest. That's what we're going to do in just a little bit. Until they had made an end, it came to pass that what time the chest was brought unto the king's office by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw there was much money, the king's scribe and the high priest's officer came and emptied the chest and took it, carried it to his place again. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance, and the king and Jehoiada gave it to such as did the work of the service of the house of the Lord. 
and hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord, and also such as wrought iron and brass to mend the house of the Lord. So the workmen wrought, and the work was perfected. It was completed by them. They set the house of God in his state and strengthened it. And when they had finished it, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, whereof were made vessels for the house of the Lord, even vessels to minister and to offer withal, and spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. This offering that's described here is more than just a maintenance offering. It's more than just a building repair project. There's some opportunities, there's some things that are taking place in this account that I don't want us to miss this morning. As we look at this offering and as we think about the offering that we're going to bring, we are different from the people of Israel. We are not bringing an offering to buy fancy gold and silver utensils though that was perfectly appropriate. That was what was demanded and commanded by God in the Old Testament. The best and the most glorious were for him. That is because in our time and in the new covenant, under the covenant of grace, God's house is not this building. Now, I'm thankful for the buildings that God has provided and the offerings that come in very often are a part of the buildings that God has given to us as a church. And the building, we call, this, we call these buildings the church, and it's perfectly appropriate to do that because that's what we understand. This is where the church gathers. But I remember passing a, a church sign many years ago. I actually passed it several times, and it didn't say this such and such a church. It said the meeting place of this church, and it named the church. Why? Because they understood that the building that God is building is his people that we are the church. And when we give in this offering, yes, it will go to facilities and buildings, but primarily it will go to the work of the gospel because even when it's going to a building, it's for the purpose ultimately of someone hearing the message of the gospel and coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and then being discipled. It is a part of the work of the Great Commission, and that is the work, that is the church that God is building in this day. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is the one building the church, and it's those who are hearing, it's those who are coming together, and so while we are grateful, we, we don't build elaborate facilities. We build things that will further the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ and will help us to fulfill the work of the Great Commission. So we're not accumulating gold and silver for beautiful utensils, appropriate though it was in the temple. We're focusing on what work God is doing in us and through us, the work that God is doing around this world. This, was an op- this was, tells us about the obedience of faith. I want to mention this briefly, and then I want to get into the text this morning. The obedience of faith, when we give, it is an action of faith. It is saying at least two things. There's more that we could talk about, but it is saying, first of all, God, when I give what I could use, when I am giving what is mine that you have given to me, when I give it in return, I am trusting you to take care of me. It is easy for us to sit and think, well, you know, I could hold on to this and think about all the things, especially in this day and time, that I could do with this money, that I could do with this offering. I could use this in a lot of ways. You know, some people talk about, you know, we take up an offering to help starving children around the world, and some of them are starving children around 
Someone said, there's starving children around my table. That's the ones I'm trying to worry about and feed. And we think about how we could use those funds. But when we give it to God, we are saying, God, I am trusting you to provide what I need. When I place my tithes in the offering, when I give my tithes, that 10%, I am not saying to God, God, this 10% is yours and the 90% is mine. I'm saying, God, I am acknowledging that 100% of what I have is yours. And this is simply an acknowledgement of it. Now help me to use the other 90% in a way that honors and glorifies you. It's all God's. Nothing that I own, nothing that I possess is mine. And so when I give, I'm saying, God, I am trusting you to provide for what I need. And I am glad to say with the psalmist that I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for parents who taught and instilled in me at a young age the importance of giving to God and seeing how God would provide, trusting God for what he would give. But it's also an obedience of faith that says, God, I'm trusting you to take this and do far more than I could do with it myself. You see, God's able to take something that is temporal and do something eternal. God's able to take something small and do something big. Think about the little boy that brings his lunch to Jesus. It's a meal for one. It's probably a, maybe a happy meal. I don't know if that was a toy involved or not. I'll guarantee you when his mom gave it to him, he was happy to have it. And he brings it to Jesus. And Jesus takes something that's temporal and he does something eternal with it. And he takes something that's small and he actually does a work of creation because when he blessed that bread, there were molecules and elements of that bread and that fish that had never existed before. He created them out of nothing. Just like he did this world in Genesis chapter 1. That's the work that God does. God takes what has some value and he does something extraordinary with it. And so when we give, it's an obedience of faith that says, God, I'm trusting you to take my widow's might. I'm trusting you to take what I'm giving and do something far beyond what I could do with it myself. And that's what this offering is. It's an obedience of faith. And what I want you to see this morning is the opportunity of faith. The opportunity of faith. What is this that is taking place? This is more than just a, well, we've got to repair some things on the temple over here, and we've got to fix this, and we've got to restore this. This offering was something far greater than that. I want you to see, first of all, in our text this morning, that it's an opportunity to remember. When we give this offering, it is an opportunity to remember. The Joash says two times, this was the offering that was instituted by Moses. He's not just citing that to lend authority to this offering. He is reminding them of why this offering was established to start with. It was established for the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Moses opened up the offering and the people brought whatever God laid in their heart and put into their heart and they were able to build the wonderful, beautiful things of the tabernacle in the wilderness. That's the blessedness and the thing, the opportunity to remember. As we think back as a church on all that God has done for us this year, I don't know if any of y'all have done the math, but 40 years Central Baptist Church has been celebrating. I have to commend those who were here at that time for calling Pastor Tom when he was nine years old. That was pretty, that's pretty amazing. 40 years. 
This, this was a reminder for them of why they even had a place of worship. And it's a reminder for us of why we have a church. Why are we here as a church? We are not here to be a social club. I love the community that we have as a church. I love when I see our church family reaching out and encouraging each other and, and comforting each other and pouring into each other and loving each other. Those things are wonderful. But there are plenty of other places you can find community. There are plenty of places in this world that people can go where somebody knows their name. We go and we need that, and that's important. That's a part of what God created the church for. But we are here first and foremost to bring glory to God and to do that by fulfilling the great commission that he has given to us. That's our task. That's our purpose. And everything we do needs to be to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why we give and we look and we see what God has done. Forty years of sharing the gospel, both in our community and around the world. Forty years of a revival history. As we think, boy, I love to hear the accounts from all the different revivals through the years and how God has worked and God has brought men of God to come and preach revivals and God has stirred and the Holy Spirit has done the work. And 40 years of experiencing the glory of God and the presence of God. What a blessing that is. And we think about those things and we, we meditate. We can celebrate all that God has done for us. As they're doing this, Joash is reminding them, look, this is where this started. This is where this took place. You see, like all of us, we are prone to forget Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And our hearts are prone to wonder. And we forget the things that God has done for us. And we find ourselves in challenging times. And we find ourselves under burdens. And we forget what God has done for us time and time again. We can celebrate what God has done. It is what He has done. As we give this morning, we celebrate what God has done for our church. But it's also an opportunity for restoration. Look in verse 7. For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, just in, case you, just in case you've forgotten who she is, had broken up the house of God and also the dedicated things of the house of the Lord they had bestowed upon Balaam. They had taken the things that were dedicated to God's use and to God's worship and they had used them in false worship. They had broken up the house of God all the beautiful things and the wonderful things that had been dedicated to God. It reminds us that our task as a church is a task of restoration and redemption. And when we give in this offering, that is what we are giving for, is to see lives restored, to see families restored, to see the work and the message of redemption to go around the world and not just around the world. It's wonderful that we are engaged in the work of missions. And it's wonderful that we said we've had several of our missionaries here in the past weeks. And what a blessing it is to see that they're going to places we cannot go and will never go. And we're able to invest in that. But there are people, this may come as a shock to you, but there are people here in Sampson County that need Jesus Christ. And there are people in Harnett County that need Jesus Christ. And there's a whole bunch of us in Dunn that need Jesus Christ. And there are people, there. we live in a mission field. And God has placed us here 
not just to be another building, not just to be another church, not just to be a bunch of religious people doing religious things and doing churchy things and speaking churchy language. God has placed us here to glorify him and to share the message of the gospel and to be a light and a salt in this community. That's our, that's our task, and it's a good reminder as we give today, we not only celebrate what God has done in the past, we can meditate on what God is doing in our church right now. Tonight I'll share more about this. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I was blessed in the last few days as I've prayed over and thought over things that God has done this past year. I'm thankful for the number of people that have trusted Christ as their Savior through the outreach of Central Baptist Church. But you know what blesses me beyond that? is the faithfulness of many to share the gospel. You see, our success is not based on the numbers that are, make professions and be baptized, though we rejoice in every one of those. Our success is when we are faithful in proclaiming the gospel. And I rejoice even more in the hundreds and even thousands who have heard the gospel through our events, through the work that we do, through the ministries that we're engaged in, and through the personal witness, it's hardly a week that goes by that somebody doesn't tell me about a friend or a family member or a neighbor or somebody that they've encountered that they have shared the message of the gospel with. And sometimes that person gets saved and sometimes they don't. But our church family is faithfully sharing the gospel. Can we do more of it? Absolutely. Are there more people that need to hear? Absolutely. But I am thankful for those who are hearing the word, hearing the message of Jesus Christ. We're sowing the seed. And I believe with all of my heart that the more seed we sow, the larger the harvest that God will send. As we give this morning, we meditate on what God is doing. But here's a third truth I want us to see before we give the offering this morning. And that is that it is an opportunity to rejoice. It is an opportunity to rejoice. Do you see that in verse 10? It says, all the princes and all the people rejoice. I'm reminded of the verse that says, God loves a what? A cheerful giver. I'm glad that we can give with a smile on our face. Nowhere else in this world do we usually give, except maybe our family at Christmas, we don't, we don't usually give with a smile. When it comes April 15th, and I'm sorry to bring up that painful subject, there's not many, too many times I've sat down and written out a check to the government with a smile on my face. It's usually the opposite. When you pay your bills at the end of the month, you don't joyfully give to the electric company or the water bill or whoever you're paying your bills to. When you have to pay that mortgage payment, when, when you have those things, those medical bills and those kind of things, you don't do it cheerfully. And yet when we come to God, we can do so rejoicing. Why? Because it is not a payment of a bill. It is not a debt that we owe. It is seeds that we sow. It is giving for the glory of God in this world. And it is giving in such a way that brings Him glory. It is giving in a way that models the gracious way He has given to us. To do it from a heart that is motivated and empowered by the Spirit of God. You see, I pray this morning that we don't just have a joyful rejoicing offering, but we have one that is filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be filled with the Spirit in all that we do, and we need to be filled with His Spirit when we come to give an offering. And we do so rejoicing. Why did they rejoice? They rejoiced because of hope. They rejoiced because that temple was going to be used for what God intended it to be used for. 
and they rejoiced, they had hope because they knew that this was not just for themselves, it was for generations to come. And my prayer and my hope is, and my firm belief is that should Jesus not return in our lifetime, I hope that he does and I believe that he might, but if he does not, that when he comes back, he will find the Son of Man, will find faith in the earth, and he will find it here at Central Baptist Church. Why? Because it goes from generation to generation. That's why we build a children's building. That's why we invest in student ministry and children's ministry. That's why we work to disciple, to help pass the faith from one generation to the next, because that is the hope that we have, that as long as God leaves his church in this world, the Holy Spirit is working through that church. And there are those who will like to say, well, it's the end of the church. We're, it's time, we're past, that's old stuff. Let me tell you that as long as God's people are here, the Holy Spirit is present in this world and through us. And he is at work and he is doing his work and he is drawing people and he is convicting people and he is taking the seed that we sow and he is working it into the soils of hearts of men and women and boys and girls and he is accomplishing the task that he has established the church to do. And that gives me hope. Well, there's a lot of people, I talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning, this, we live in a hopeless time. We live in a world that looks around and there seems to be, I speak, see it especially in our younger generation very often, they seem to have no hope, they have no idea that things could be better. They have no hope of what the future holds because they have just been told and they've experienced that things are doom and gloom. And I see older Christians that they watch the news and then they get on social media and all they can talk about is how terrible things are. And I want to tell you something, man, y'all are bumming me out, man. But I am glad that my God is still on the throne. I'm glad. And that's what gives me hope. And when I give, I am giving with the promise that my God, by faith, will take what I give and he will use it not just for me, but for the generations to come. As we give, we celebrate what God has done for us in the past. We meditate on what God has, is doing for us now, but we anticipate what God is going to do. I believe that the God who has worked for the past 40 years is going to continue to work for the next 40 years. And I often tell you, my grandmother's 102, I've got good genes. I plan to be here for the next 40, by God's grace. Some of y'all will be here, some of you won't. But unless Jesus comes back, the work of God goes on. And I have hope, I have firm hope for the future that the God who has worked in the past and the God who is working now is the God who will continue to do his work in and through us. And so when I come this morning and we come this morning to give our offering, we can come like the people in this passage and we can come rejoicing because he is a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I want to point out one last truth to you in this and then I'm going to pray and we'll receive our offering this morning. I want you to see that this ordinance, this offering, was not the ordinance of man, it was the ordinance of God. The king said, I'm going to give a command. I want you guys to go out and I want you to collect the money. And nothing happened. But when he said, God's the one, Moses is the one, the servant of the Lord, God established this offering. Then you know what happened? People came and they gave. I trust the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to tell us what we should give. 
and to work in us a grace that allows us to give with rejoicing. I'm not here to twist anybody's arm. I'll let the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a master arm twister. He is a convictor, and he has done that in some hearts already. He may do it in yours as well. And we'll give the offering this morning, and some of, some of us may put in, and we may see God may speak to us in the days to come. The chest will be here for a few weeks, and we want to be obedient because it's in our obedience that our greatest opportunity lies. Father, I pray this morning that as your people give, as we give, Lord, this is not an offering. This is not my offering. This is your offering. This work is to build your church here and around the world where it's, where it's needed and where we can invest. I pray, Lord, that you will take what we give today. May we give generously and joyously. May we give voluntarily out of a heart of grace. But, Lord, may you take the little that we give and make much of it. May you take the temporal things that we give today and do an eternal work in this world. And Father, I pray for a blessing on everyone who will give. Lord, no matter how little or how much, it's yours. And we give you praise. We give you remembering. We give you as a work of redemption. And we give you with rejoicing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.